Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. All right, so... Man, it's good to be back at All Church Retreats. Man, for me, it's been about four or five years, and it's been some crazy years. Um, I, I do, before I get rolling, I do need to express maybe something uh, on my heart. If I look high right now, um, you'll know why here in a second. Your, can't, your, your speaker's not high, just so you know. Um, that's good to know. And I'm saved. I think that's good to know that your speakers are saved, right? So I'm saved. I got saved in middle school. Uh, man, uh, man, what a day that was. And so, but uh, man, if you could be praying for me, one, man, that's gave my heart to the kids or the teens. And man, that was awesome. But um, about, about 10 minutes before uh, the service started, I got a call from my neighbor. His name's Melvin. Um, and the guy that does my hair, a guy that, it's not just my barber, he, he comes to my house. Uh, my kids write him letters. We have conversations. Many times he'll stay around and have a bite or a drink with us. And um, so Monday, he cut my hair. Monday night, I just found out he died. Um, and the sad part is, is that, I mean, I shared the gospel with him about a couple months ago. And I asked him, hey, man, where where are you going, man? And he said, I'm going to hell. And it wasn't a hard, like, I'm going to hell. It was, he knew it. And uh, man, I said, man, Manny, what do you want to do about that? He said, man, nothing right now. And uh, so, man, I got that call. I was able to talk to my family. We cried together because, man, we've been praying for Manny for a couple months now. And uh, man, I didn't just hope and he called out to the Lord. He knew gave him a track. He knew what he needed to do. He knew where he was at. And guys, we're in a battle, right? We're in the battle for the souls of men. And it just, Kenny, man, I just talked to you this morning about it, man. Just how God's timing, right? We're talking about, we got to get back to evangelism. And I'm sitting there and there, there's not much comfort because you don't know. He died on the highway that evening. And man, the only comfort is that, man, telling our, my girls and my wife and my boys, hey, we did share the gospel with him. We got a clear opportunity and maybe, just maybe he called out. And so, man, Melvin, his, his family, man, he called me. He's like, man, I knew he was special to you guys and I just wanted to let you know. And man, I need you when you come back. And so I can't wait to talk to him. He, he says he's saved, but hasn't been in church. And so if I'm like off, okay, um, and there's a lot of reasons for that this morning. And so, I hope, man, the Lord has his hand. Can I just pray, though? Uh, pray for their family. Pray for my heart and mine and my wife. She's hurting, too. And uh, so let's pray. Father, come with a heavy heart. And I do not want it to be a distraction for this. Oh, but Lord, there's people like Manny that need to hear. Before it's too late. Lord, we've got discipleship down and we've got some awesome things going in our churches, but Lord, I pray we never forget the mission of reaching people for Christ. And Lord, I, Lord, I just hope he called out to you. I know you're just. I know you're sweet. I know you're good. And I know you gave him opportunities. So Lord, I trust you. And you knew what you were doing. Lord, I pray for his family, that they find comfort. I pray that you give me opportunity with them when I get home. And I pray for my family right now. My, my girls are broken over this. And I pray for their hearts, that they can be encouraged. Lord, I pray you just guide our time this morning. And Lord, let, let me put those things aside for the moment. Like Jeremiah, let me just there's a time for mourning, but you have a time right now, a job that needs to be done. And so I pray your word will go forth and it'd be your word, your truth. And, and we'd, we'd have a passion to do whatever you've asked us to do. 
more than ever. We love you, your name. Amen. Again, I just want to, man, thank you, man. Uh, if you have a chance to meet my wife, man, her name's Anna. We, man, we celebrate 15 years this month, and it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, Lee owes me $20. Uh, he didn't think we'd make it this long. So, um, but anyway, I've got the extreme pleasure of training up, uh, man, two girls and, and two boys. And I just, man, again, God's timing, Sam and the others, Alan, all those guys, man. I, I get to be my daughter's first camp speaker. And that is so special to me. She's in a sixth grader now. And so I get to be her first and she still wants to hear from dad. And that's awesome. And uh, so what a, that's such a pleasure to me. I mean, I'm, I'm sold. I've gotten everything I need so far from all church, just that. Uh, so you may have heard from Lee. I do have a little house on the prairie life, uh, but uh, man, I got 30 something chickens, about six something pigs and two dogs. Um, and that's how Lee puts it. I mean, I'm a, I live on a little house on the prairie, right? Uh, man, I've been pastoring now, DBT, Downtown Baptist Temple. We're celebrating seven years this November. Can you believe it? Man, I just remember the first days. Man, it's starting around here, man. You guys blessing us and that mission focus and a lot of things. Man, the money and the investment. I just want to say, since I have the opportunity, thank you. Man, some of you guys that are established, thank you for not forgetting about the little guy and investing in us. And I am, I'm grateful to this fellowship and grateful to the churches that are in here. You guys have been priceless, um, and I can't say enough. Um, and, and just, man, may bear with me to help me get out of my funk. I need to make fun of Lee for a second. So <laughs> Lee, for whatever reason, uh, how, how do you do? By, Troy did amazing, but how did the Apostle Peter? Did he do okay? Did Simon do all right? I mean, Troy was money. Uh, but Simon over here, right? And, and he'll call me John, the Apostle John or beloved. And I think it's not because I am more like the Apostle John, but more like he's the Apostle Peter, right? It seems like he's always sticking his foot in his mouth, it would seem. It, it, it seems that, well, I know that I can beat him in a foot race, you know. I, he, get ten, he may get the first 10 yards, but after that, I've smoked him, man, right? Or maybe it's because every once in a while he gets caught naked. I don't know, man. Uh, um, and I, I feel probably I should explain that one, right? Okay, so Lee comes. <laughs> he comes to save, you know, my backside, man. I, Jeff Bartell gets uh, coming down for a legacy conference and his flight gets canceled. And so I, I call Lee, Lee, man, bro, the first night, there's gonna be no speaker. Can you get down here? So he goes and he talks to Jordan, like five minutes, he's in the truck and he's coming down. And man, he, he, that dude can preach, right? That dude has got a gift. And so he comes down, he saves our conference. So he's thinking he's big stuff, right? He comes and saves the day. So that night, uh, he, he's at the hotel and Dante Culpepper's son is in the hotel and throwing a party. And Lee's temperance and pa he's trying to practice temperance and patience during this time. And they're getting real loud and, and Lee's just had enough. And so he comes out of his door, uh, his hotel and is going to give him a what for and probably share the gospel. Just I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, right? And he comes out of the room and right when Dante Culpepper's son and his party goes into his room and that door shut, he hears a click. His door closes behind him. And in his lack of practicing patience and temperance, he was in his skivvies. <laughs> and so he runs down the hall. Can, don't imagine this, but he's running down the hall <laughs> and he gets in the stairwell and hotel stairwells aren't necessarily the cleanest and he's sticking every step. <laughs> Who knows what that was, right? Sorry, Jordan, right? And so he gets down and he peeks around the corner and he goes, there's this old lady. Psst, psst. Oh, sorry. He's actually going. Psst, psst. I don't know why he did this, right? But he's going. Psst. And, and, and she's not. So he's got to keep getting louder. And he's like, hey, hey, right? Finally gets her attention and she's, whoa, right? And he's like, I locked myself out of the room. And she says, no problem. Gets the room number. So he makes his way back up, doing a Mission Impossible up the steps, right? Making sure no one's there. And can you imagine, she's at the door and he's got to make that walk. So, right? <laughs> That's Lee. And so he gets in the door. Well, guess whose secretary is also works the front desk at the hotel? 
mine. And I'm not gonna let him know if I have the security footage or not. I'm just gonna let that sit, right? But anyway, man, that dude is a good brother of mine. I love him. If you can tell, I do love you, buddy. <laughs> but he, he calls me beloved, and I think it's more because he's like Simon. But have you ever noticed in the book of John that God allows in his preserved word for two guys to just kind of talk about each other? Right? John records that he beat Peter to the grave. Can you, that's just so cool to me. Like, why is that important? And you know, John, when we talk about getting out of the boat and Peter walking in the water, John doesn't put that in his gospel. You know, it's just, just kind of interesting. I think they had a special relationship, it was sure. And, but you see them praying together at the temple. And uh, man, what I love about Lee, and I can say this about Troy and, and many of the leaders in here, they're the real deal. They're the real deal. And, you know, and that's the motto that I stole from the great theologian NF. He says, I may not be the best in my field, but I'm going to die real. And and uh, that's it for me. Now, listen, I'm I'm simple and uh, I'm not that bright. And I just, I love this book and man, but I I got the nod to be up here this this morning. And man, I I pray through those things. And man, I wrestle with those things because I, I, I need to know why God wants me to do it. Now, I may not know all the, the, the out things, but I need to know that he's asking me to do it because I want to be obedient and I want to be say yes with confidence that God is wanting this to happen. I, I don't want to do it just because it's cool. I don't want to do it to please Sam or please Alan or Kenny, the guys, man, even though I love them. Man, I, I need to know that God is wanting me to do this. And, and those, are, man, there's some good reasons to do things, but I want the godly reason. I want to fulfill what God has asked me to do. And so may God confirm that in my heart, but can I ask you this morning, do you know why you're here? I mean, what was your motivation to come? Maybe a better way is to say it this way, what are you seeking? I mean, that answer to that question many times will define our life. The answer to that question is what leads us as God's people to be fulfilled and successful and victorious. Even in the context of this conference, what will make this conference a success, all church retreat is you being an answer. What are you seeking from him? And I don't know if you can answer that this morning. You know, maybe you were coming for a good time. Maybe you were to hang with some good and godly people. Maybe it was to get away Maybe you don't know. Maybe someone invited you and said, yeah, sure, I'll go. Those are all good reasons, but man, I hope you know that God wanted you to be here. And he wanted something for you. And so, man, I, I got a long setup. And so, man, we just buckle up and go with me. Turn with me to John chapter one, verse 35. I'm going through the book of John back home. And God has taught me this, this principle that, and maybe a new and fresh way. And may I just say it a little different, but man, I hope I'm not saying anything contrary. But it's just some, some way that God's man, mentioned it to me to make it stick. So John chapter one, verse 35. If we had the time, Apostle John has been introducing Jesus as the word and that has become flesh. If we had time to read this chapter, this, rich, this chapter is rich. It leads into the record of John the Baptist as he lays out the baptism of Jesus. This baptism manifested that Jesus was the lamb of God to Israel. He was gonna take away the sin of the world. And this announcement caught the attention of two people, two specific individuals. So let's start in verse 35 of John chapter one. It says, again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, behold, the lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, saith them, what seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? And he saith to them, come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. 
Two disciples of John the Baptist heard him say, behold, the lamb of God. One was Andrew and the other was the beloved John. John the Baptist was preparing these two boys to be ready to receive the lamb. And here he was. John the Baptist stood and looking upon Jesus said, hey, here he is, the lamb of God. They got introduced to the savior of the world. But right, we know this around here, right? But just being a believer isn't enough. And you see that they start to follow him. Being a believer wasn't the end. It was only the beginning. And they started to follow Jesus. And so many claim to be Christians and not really Christians in the sense of how the word is used, right? See, to be Christian biblically means you must be a follower, Christian biblically is a follower of Christ. We see that in Acts 11, verse 26. And when he found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. As more than just a believer. And these two boys understood this. Believing wasn't the end. It was just the beginning. And listen, salvation was to be the first step, not the last step for us. And so we see in verse 37 in John chapter one that the two disciples heard him speak and they followed him. Now, just we need to pause for a second. This monumental moment we're about to come to. See the word here, the word in the flesh is about to finally speak. See, in John 1, 1, we're told that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was with God, but he hasn't spoken yet in the gospel until verse 38. And he starts, the first thing he says is a question. Verse 38, and Jesus turned and saw them following and saith to them, what seek ye? He doesn't ask who you're seeking or why you're seeking and why you're following him, or why they're following him. He asks, what are you seeking? And we would understand what Jesus was asking. He's saying, hey, what seek ye from me? It's a simple question. But what Jesus was doing was asking them to define their purposes in following him. Hey, what are you looking for, boys? Now, if we could poll most of humanity, what they're looking for from God. If we could see the heart of man and see how most would answer the question, I wonder what we would get. I think we can take some guesses, right? Man, I want some bucks. Right? I want some cash. Make me rich. I want a babe. Right? I want a hot wife. Melissa wants a stud of a husband. Right? <laughs> Sorry, Melissa. Where's Melissa at? She told me to do that. I, I'm going to get that 20 bucks later. Okay, so, right? <laughs> we want a big house, big toys, big positions. Maybe we want fame, long life, that whole wealth, health, and happiness, that whole wealth, health, and prosperity. And maybe we could take some guesses about what the world may say, but what I'm really only concerned about is what would you say? What would you say? Let's say you were following Jesus that day and man, you're, you see that he's the lamb and you want to follow him with your life. And he turns around, looks you into your eyes and asks, hey, what are you seeking me for? What is you want? And what would it be? What would you say? See, what's sad in our age, guys, is that most are following God most are following Jesus, looking what they can get out of it personally. They're following Jesus to benefit me. We see these examples in like John chapter six. There's a great multitude following Jesus and they actually got the title of disciple. They're seeking him for personal benefit. Some were following because they saw his miracles, John 6, 2. And a great multitude following because they saw his miracles. Some were following Jesus because they were provided for. Verse 26, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat the loaves and were filled. And all of a sudden, Jesus teaches a hard truth. If I remember right, I think Lee actually may have taught this last year at All Church Retreat. 
But here then, many therefore of his disciples, when they heard this, this is a hard truth, hard saying, who can hear it? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said to them, does this offend you? See, God knows how to reveal our true intentions. The word in the flesh, Jesus was teaching and people weren't liking what he was saying and they were getting offended. And so guess what happened? John 6, verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They didn't walk with him anymore because the word discerned their heart like Hebrews 4, 12 says. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing center of soul and spirit, a joint tomorrow and is the center of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So what are you seeking from Jesus? Well, you stay around the word long enough, it will reveal your true intentions. But let's look back into John chapter one and, and see how these disciples responded. I think that the, the, the response shocked me. It was surprising to me. Verse 38 of John chapter one. They said in him, Rabbi, which is to say being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? Now this may not seem very profound. I mean, when you first read it, you may be like, stranger danger. <laughs> hey, where do you live, Jesus? You know, if two guys were following you and you whip around, you say, hey, what are you looking for? And they say, well, master, we need your address. Like, hmm, wait a second. But think about it. I mean, it's not like they can say, hey, can I have your digits? Or can I DM you? They can't say those things. For your older generation, you couldn't call the switchboard operator to connect you, right? <laughs> That's not working. Just trying to be cross-generational around here, right? The illustrations are relatable, right? But for someone to follow Jesus in that day, you would need to know where you could find him. You would need to know where he dwelled. So his, their response wasn't abnormal. Look at the first word of the response. Rabbi means master. And it states that in the verse, and this is a title of honor, but it was also a title that accompanied a teacher, a guide. The word master is here, here is one that taught. We see it used that way, Matthew 22, verse 16. They sent unto him their disciples with Herodians saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. A master would have disciples. A disciple means learners, followers of someone's teaching. So by them saying, Rabbi, Master, they were submitting to him as a teacher. So with that first word of the response, they were claiming that they had decided they were going to follow him and his teaching, that Jesus was going to be their master. So they already believed that he was the Lamb of God, the Son of God. But now they are going to, they've settled that they're going to follow and learn from Jesus the word that was manifested in the flesh. Before we get to the rest of the response, I want, to ask your, I want you to ask yourself, when did you surrender to following Jesus? The word. I'm not asking when you place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for your salvation. I'm glad you're a believer and you chose to receive that gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But for those that have received salvation, when did you make the decision you were going to follow his teachings, his words. When did you surrender to the authority of the word of God as your teacher? We all know this, right? Being a Christian is not sitting in a pew, right? Just throwing some bills in the plate and being a good person. It's more than that. It's great more than that. And I, I remember the moment just as clear as my salvation. I gotten, uh, I stole so I stole from my dad's library this book on how to study the Bible, the keys to Bible study. And I read that thing in the basement in my, in my bedroom. And when I got done, along with all the good teaching and preaching I was getting at the time, I, I maybe, again, I'm, I'm weird. But I took my Bible, I remember taking it and holding it to my heart and making a covenant to the Lord and said, Lord, I'm never gonna let this go. And I surrendered my life to his teachings. 
May not be perfect. Man, God's got to chastise. Man, he's got to work in my life. I'm transforming too. But I'm keep coming back to this book, to the authority, to Jesus's words. Have you made that decision? Because we're coming. I mean, it's already here. But for the, definitely the next generation, you're going to be tried on this. And you can't quote the speakers and the preachers and the professors. You have to quote this. Is this what you're following? As they follow it. Look at the end of their response in verse 38. It says, said in Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? Again, they're asking, man, where do you live? They want to know where they could find him. You know, what were they seeking? Well, if they're going to follow him, then you know where they can get to him. And what were they saying? They were seeking where they can find him because in their heart, you know what they wanted? They wanted him. They wanted him. Can I ask you some more questions here? Do you know where the word of God dwells today? Do you know where it dwells? Do you know where you can find him? And are you seeking the word so you can find him and follow his teachings? See, many seek Jesus for his healing, his provision. His, many seek Jesus for many other reasons, but Andrew and John were seeking him. Now, this is great. Jesus' response he didn't tell them where he can be found. Look what he says in verse 39. He saith to them, come and see. And that's it right there. They made the decision to follow. They were seeking to follow him. They needed to know where they could find him. And can you hear the sweetness of his response? Hey, come and see. And Jesus led them not just where he lived, but he led them into fellowship. Look at verse 39. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. About 4 p.m. this all happened and they abided with him the rest of the day. What do you think they talked about? His mission? I mean, did he answer some questions? But man, what sweet fellowship they must have had. And whatever they talked about, and from scripture, we know something was different about these boys. They learned from the word, they fell in love with the word and it changed their life, especially their attitude of adoration. I mean, they loved him and respected him and reverenced him. I mean, John was the beloved, the one that had a, just a different relationship with Jesus than the rest of the boys. But Andrew, not one negative thing personally was said about him. And Andrew, at the end of his life, was still seeking him and couldn't wait to be with him. Even when Andrew died, it was recorded that Andrew remained tied to a cross with thick, tight ropes for three days. And his last words were this, accept me, O, Jesus, o Christ Jesus, whom I saw, whom I love, and whom I am. Accept my spirit and peace in your eternal realm. It's, it's like Andrew and John literally followed Proverbs 2. Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. It says, my son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so if thou incline thy ear into wisdom and ply thy heart to understanding, yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and search for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And they went after Christ and they found the knowledge of God. They found him. Let's be John's and Andrew's. That Jesus would turn around and see us following. And when he would ask, hey, what seek ye? That we would say, man, we just want to know where we can find you. We just want to know your teachings so we can follow you. We know Proverbs chapter two, right? This process brings an understanding of the fear of the Lord. And we'll talk about that. And that builds our attitude of adoration. We'll get to that. And so when the word tells you what to do with your life from his teachings, you will learn the appropriate actions he wants you to take. 
and you do those teachings from a heart of adoration, which I believe is worship, when an attitude of adoration combines with the appropriate actions, you now have worship. And that's what God is seeking. See, what's interesting, we see these two guys, what they're seeking at the beginning of John, and we come into John 4, and we, we see what God is seeking. He is seeking true worshipers. We know this, right? John 4, verse 23, but the hour cometh and now is. When true worshipers, can I say the word? Worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And for the sake of time, man, I just don't have time just to ravel all this out. But we just bear with me with this definition. And again, maybe I'm just saying it a different way than what you've heard, and maybe it'll just click. But as I see worship in scripture, is an attitude of adoration. We can't stop there. It's, worship is demonstrated by an appropriate action. And as you can see, this definition has no connection to God. It has no allegiance to one person or thing because many times in Christian circles, we think of worship, it is immediately tied to God, but we need to know that the word says we can actually worship other things and other people and other beings. Exodus 34 verse 13 says, for thou shalt worship no other God. Deuteronomy 8 19 says, and it shall be, Thou do it all, forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish. We'll see a little bit tomorrow that you can worship someone or something else. And I think we know that, but this definition I give you, let's just work this out a little bit. See, if you do the appropriate action of a worshiper of God without the attitude of adoration, that's not worship, that's legalism. That's being a Pharisee. That was, that's what the religious crowd was doing when the living word showed up. And that's what we find many times the religious crowd is doing today. They got the appropriate action, but they don't have the right attitude. But if you have the attitude of adoration, but you don't do the appropriate action that the word declares, man, that's not worship either. That's disobedience. To have worship, you need an attitude of adoration, which is of love and reverence and respect for God, and do the right things that are revealed by truth. And maybe I can explain it this way. Me and my wife, uh, well, not my wife, but what I was doing for my wife was I was getting her orchids every special event, right? Anniversary, birthday, you know, teeth cleaning, anything like that. Man, I was doing whatever I could. And in my mind, what I was doing was building a legacy, something that if I died, she could remember me. And every time she'd see an orchid, she'd be like, oh, that's my, that's code. And I was trying to build this special thing, this bond, this tradition. And man, I was getting some effort. And well, she tried to tell me, but I, I wasn't hearing. She, she hated orchids. <laughs> and she would do it the nice way. Like, honey, dear man, please. Will you not give me an orchid next time? And, and I'd get her one and she'd be so nice, but she's like, hey, can you just stop? You know, I, I kill them. There's more responsibility. She had all these reasons and I'm thinking, yeah, but she's going to love it. You know, she's going to get it. And one day when she sees an orchid, she's going to think of me and it's going to be awesome. And, and so I was, I was going for the long game, right? And, and so one morning, no joke, it's, it's, it has to be Mother's Day or something like that. And my job, my, my gig is get up like four o'clock in the morning, go to Walmart, you know, and, and get the orchid that day with some Oreos and a coffee mug and all that. So my wife is in the bed and she's praying this to the Lord. She tells me this later. She's like, Lord, if there is an orchid, <laughs> if there's Oreos and a coffee mug, I'm going to kill him. That's what was there. <laughs> and she comes out and we kind of have a come to Jesus meeting. And she's like, listen, stop. Stop giving me orchids. Right, just, it's over. 
And I was hurt. Like, I was like, what? I was doing all this for you. And man, I was getting these things. And I'm looking, I'm explaining all my reasonings. And she just says, stop. You're not listening. And you know what's crazy is I was looking at worship. And that thing came and just nailed me. Because don't we do that with the Lord? Lord, I want to do this for you. I'm going to do this for you. And man, I'm going to give you this. And man, I'm going to do this for you. And God's like, hey, wait, I don't want that. This is what I want. And we keep doing that. And we're thinking we're worshiping God and we think we're giving it all. And God's like, no, 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 you're missing it. I've been telling you over here, this is what I want you to do. And over and over, and he's seeking true worship, but man, we're not seeing it. We're not hearing it. And God keeps telling us. And finally, he's just like, stop giving me orchids. See, we have to have both. Man, I, I thought I was coming from a right heart, but now that I look back at it, it wasn't for my wife. Who was it for? Me. I wanted her to think about me. I wanted the memories and the tradition. I wanted her, when I was gone, to still think about me and not marry another guy and all those things, right? Yeah. I, I wanted that. That was for me. And man, when I look at my own worship many times, I, and I go and I look back, how much of it I was saying I was doing for the Lord, but it wasn't according to his word. And when I boil it down, it was really for me. And God's like, will you stop giving me orchids? And just give me what I've asked, what I've asked of you. And, and man, it, it took me to Revelation chapter three, verse 20, right? You guys know this, but have you ever thought about, right? Here's the church and, and Jesus is knocking outside of it. He's like, I stand at the door and knock. Who are they worshiping in the church? If he's outside, who are they giving to? Who are they serving? Who are they talking about? Who are they singing to? And we know what Laodicea, right, man? It's about the people. And so could they have been just offering orchids? And Jesus sitting here like, hey, it ain't about me in there. I just want to take you real quickly and, and see how this definition plays out in scripture and just remember, man, just this working definition, worship is an attitude of adoration demonstrated by an appropriate action. And so, man, we go to the first time the word, word worship is used, and I want you to see this. Genesis 22, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto Abraham, pretty key right there. And he said, behold, I, here am I, or here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Now what God's saying here, God's words to him were to sacrifice his son. And without those words, without that truth, and Abraham sacrificed his son, it would not have been sacrifice, it would have been murder. See how we must worship in truth? We can sacrifice things we were never meant to sacrifice. And you need to understand this key principle that the appropriate action of our worship will be, be governed by his words. Will be governed by his words. We don't just get to choose what we want to offer. He's already declared those. And so, man, our worship will be governed by his words. John 4, verse 23 Spirit and truth, right? But here's the kicker, right? The attitude of adoration will be given through his words. To get an attitude of adoration, one that reverence, respects, and loves God, we're gonna have to fear him. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning. And remember back in Proverbs chapter two, verse one, my son, if thou wilt receive my words. And as you go through that process, it says, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord. And that fear produces a reverence and respect and love for the Lord. The word of God will give you the attitude of adoration to the God of the word. If you hide them and incline them and apply them and cry after them and pray for them, seek them and search them. When you understand the fear of the Lord, you know him. And your, ad towards, your attitude towards him changes. Your attitude towards the truth then will determine your attitude towards him. 
And so it goes and just kind of takes us back to how we began. What are you seeking? If you're seeking him, you know where you'll find him? Right here. In his word. And when you remember this thing of fear, it's gonna come back and play. Genesis 22, verse three, back to Genesis here. It says, Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. What if he went to a different place? Would it have been worship? No. See the obedience, see the submission to God's word, see the surrender like Troy was talking about last night. And Genesis 22, verse four says, then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Verse five, and Abraham said to his young men, abide you here with the ass and I and the lad will go yonder and worship. What if he took Ishmael instead of Isaac? Yeah, God, okay, cool, Isaac, but let's, let's do Ishmael. Would that have been worship? No, it wouldn't have been. He needed to take Isaac. That's who God asked for. And here's what I need you to know about the appropriate actions. There's two all-encompassing appropriate actions that demonstrate an attitude of adoration that's part of every other appropriate action. Okay, that's wordy. Sorry, I'm not very good at English. I don't even, I don't even know why I try. Okay, but listen, if you boil down this, every appropriate action, you boil it down, it'll lead down to these two things, submission and sacrifice. Submission and sacrifice. No matter how you slice it, if it's true worship, these two things will always be there. See, God is challenging Abraham specifically with who he loves. And, God, and so he commands, God, man, he commands and Abraham is following and he's gonna prove it out. Who do you adore more, God or your son? And we know he loves Isaac and we know he loves the Lord and Abraham has proved this out before. And God, he's followed God before Hebrews 11, eight. By faith, Abraham, when he's called out into a place which he should after receive for inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whether he went. And man, that obedience, that submission to God's word took sacrifice, right? They're leaving all they knew. Man, they're leaving people, possessions he loved, plans that he and Sarah had made. And I'm sure you know, right, that Abraham coming from the land of Chaldees, that it had been known that the pagans offered children sacrifices. So it wouldn't have been so uncommon, sad, horrible, yes, but if pagans were willing to offer their children to God's, that they made with their hands, can the same worship be found of Abraham? And we know this isn't blind faith because of the promises in Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. So knowing what God has told him, and what, is he telling, what he's telling him now, Abraham has a, has a choice. Submit to God's words and sacrifice his son. And we know what happens, right? We know the story. He takes up his son, lays him down, pulls out a knife, and before he goes in, the angel of the Lord shows up. And in Genesis 22, it says, and the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do anything unto him. And we'll pause there for a second. I wonder, did Abraham go, <gasps> like, did he just like, oh, thank God, right? Like, did he just call it a man? But anyway, verse, the rest of the verse says, for now, I know that thou fearest God, and seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. Abraham worshiped God from an attitude of adoration, and it was demonstrated by his submission to what God had said and by his sacrifice. And we see the sacrifice mainly in this passage, but if we read on, we see the submission to his words. Genesis 22, verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time, and said, by myself have I sworn, say the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee and multiply, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Verse 18, and thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Why? Because thou hast obeyed my voice. See, worship is not just sacrifice but it's also submission, also submission to his words. What comes out of a voice? Words. When you have an attitude of adoration for the Lord, 
you will demonstrate it through sacrifice and submission to him. That's the two all-encompassing appropriate actions. And this is how people leave good churches. The right people leave good churches. That they know that God is calling them to do a work. May to help a church plant or may start something. And this is how they can just leave everything. This is how they can make it through some hard days and hard problems and hard trials. Because if they don't, it's disobedience. And they just love, reverence, and respect God enough to say, okay, I'm gonna do what you've asked me to do. And they do it out of worship. And we know what God's asked us to sacrifice. One of the things he's asked us to sacrifice, and that's Romans 12, 1. I think you guys would know this verse very well. But I want you to see it maybe with the definition that I've given you of worship. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So you see what we're supposed to sacrifice, right? Our bodies. But you see what the, what's supposed to motivate our adoration there? The mercies of God. Man, I don't know about you, but the mercies of God just make me love him more. The mercies he's poured in my life every day and fresh and new give me more reverence and respect for him. And so by those mercies, that, that motivation, that attitude of adoration that you now have for him because of those mercies, now sacrifice yourself. Psalms 116 verse 12 says, what should I render to the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? Well, you see the conclusion. He says, man, I will pay my vows. I am thy servant. I will offer thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will pay my vows unto the Lord in verse 18. Hey, Lord, what do you want for everything you've done for me? Okay, I'll do this. I'll pay my vows. I'll become a servant. I'll sacrifice. You know what you render to the Lord for all his benefits? Whatever he asks for. You don't get to sacrifice what you want to sacrifice and call it worship. You don't get to offer orchids even though you really think it's a great idea. It takes truth. It takes submission. They're intermixed. I used to hear it said a long time ago, all the time, find what God wants you to do and do it with all your heart. And we look at Moses and he delivered God's people that took submission and sacrifice and he did it out of adoration to the Lord. Abraham, when you be a father of a nation, took submission and sacrifice. Disciples, be fishers of men and took submission and sacrifice. Paul, be the apostles to the Gentiles, took submission and sacrifice. And we'll talk about some of the appropriate actions tomorrow, what God wants us to do, but man, just hear me out. If you're one that just follows Jesus for the benefits, listen, there's gonna come to a point, you'll understand, man, there's gonna be something he's gonna ask you that's gonna take some kind of submission and it's gonna ask you some, take, he's gonna ask you something to sacrifice and it will prove you out and how many of you, many of you will continue to follow the Lord. out of adoration and, uh, and the appropriate action, what that does is fulfills your role and responsibility that God has given you. So let me ask you, what if out of adoration you read the Bible? What if out of adoration you praise? What if out of adoration you serve? What if out of adoration you share the gospel with Manny? What if everything we do is with an attitude of adoration and according to what he said? The wisest man put it this way. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. One of the first followers of Christ, an example of an intimate relationship as a disciple put it this way. John 14, 15. If he love me, keep my commandments. But really, I want to ask you, because 
you can get all the appropriate actions down and that's cool. And, but it's nothing without the attitude of adoration. And so all I want, and Troy touched on it, man, Lee touched on it with the goodness of the Father. And what are you seeking? What are you seeking from him? Can I ask you, is that who you're really seeking? Do you know where to find him? Do you know where he dwells? And are you going to see? So Jesus has given the invitation, come and see. And as you get that attitude of adoration, he begins to take you through the word and through the transformation of his word, begins to show you the next step and the next step and the next step, the next appropriate actions. And what you find is what God is seeking. True worshipers. Not a bunch of people giving orchids. Let me pray. Father, just thank you for this morning and where this, in a way my mind feels like a scrambled mess with all it's kind of been going on this morning. I just pray, Lord, your, your hand and let's guide that your spirit will teach those things. And, and maybe we'll see tomorrow how this kind of plays out today is just laying the foundation. But Lord, I just pray for all of us that man, we just take an inventory of our life, examine our hearts that, you know, what are we seeking? And when we study, man, are we studying to be approved of men? Or are we studying to be approved of you? When we come to your word in the morning, is it to find you or find something to just write in our notebook or to text somebody like our accountability partners? But what are we seeking? A man like Lee taught that your goodness is, is awesome and I pray that we feel like, man, if we've stepped away from you being our goal, you being our prize, that we come back running and like Andrew and John, we'd want to know where you're at. And I think most of us know where you're at. So we just come and see and enjoy the sweet fellowship of being in your word. And have build through those mercies from a good father, this attitude of adoration for you. And, and out of that attitude of adoration, we demonstrate it by doing the appropriate things that you've called us to do. And you would look down and all the churches represented and all the individuals here and say, man, that's what I'm seeking, true worshipers. You would find us giving all of ourselves to you because we love you. We adore, man, we respect you and we reverence you. I just thank you for this time. We love you in your name. Amen. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.